Hello, and welcome to the Chain Bridge podcast. I'm John O'Sullivan, the president of the Danube Institute. We host the podcast, we're based in Budapest, and we're a think tank that brings together interesting thinkers and doers from academia, politics, the arts, the media, and business to explore contemporary debates. We have the goal not only of challenging old orthodoxies with new ideas, but also of tempering new orthodoxies with old truths. We hope you enjoy this podcast, which is co-hosted by our senior visiting fellow, David Dusenberry, and our former visiting fellow, Dr. Callum Nicholson. Welcome to this new episode of the Chainbridge podcast. Today, our guest is Peter Pastor. Peter is a writer, translator, and currently editor of Orzagut, or Country Way, the Hungarian Journal of Literature, Culture, and Current Affairs. Today, he is joining us to discuss the work of the Canadian literary critic and theorist Northrop Fry, once called the foremost living student of Western literature by none other than Harold Bloom. Specifically, we want today to discuss with Peter Fry's work on the biblical legacy in Western literature. So welcome, Peter. Thank you very much for uh, having me. Pleasure. Okay, so today we have the great advantage of a creative tension in the questions, as David, I think, knows quite a lot about Fry, whereas I'm blessed with complete ignorance. So um, uh, the only thing I really know about him is that he grew up in Quebec, uh, much like me. So to begin with, who was Fry, and why should we care about him today? Well, he was uh, uh, probably one of the most important literary critics in the 19, uh, f- between the 1950s and 70s. Uh, in the uh, Anglo-American world. Uh, As far as I remember, he was uh, among the most cited scholars at the time. Uh, Only Lenin uh, uh, was above him uh, in the 1970s. So uh, this is an amazing fact. It it is probably not uh, something you have to take too too strongly into consideration, but it does uh, reflect how uh, uh, popular uh, and how seminal uh, Northrop Fry was at the time uh, in the 1970s, uh, mostly through his uh, through his uh, very very important uh, book, *The Anatomy of Criticism*, uh, which was a, a, a very important sequel uh, to the uh, new critic. Uh, a group of uh, theorists uh, who, who grew, came to the fore in the 1930s. And this uh, was a, a very important response uh, to the formalist c- criticism uh, of the uh, period. Peter, would it be correct to say my impression is that one of the reasons why Fry is not as well known now as he was in the late 20th century is that really sort of deconstruction and French literary thinking sort of uh, came to the fore in the 1990s and really overshadowed him. Is that your, is that a correct assessment? Is that your impression as well? I think this is on the surface. This is on the surface uh, uh, level. Uh, There are more uh, deconstructionists, there are more uh, departments of uh, current French uh, uh, literary uh, criticism at universities. This is true enough. Uh, Also, uh, what is uh, at a second level, uh, what you might uh, think of is that is that a a kind of believer, uh, or or we're in a quotation marks believer, uh, will not be uh, as uh, successful as as a, a, a skepticist uh, a non-believer in in these times i mean this is a, this truly it, it does uh, it does uh, uh, have some resonance i think uh, uh, if you go into the to another aspect of this is is the followers of fry i mean he he created a, a, a magnificent structure uh, a very interesting structuralist kind of uh, theory, and how do you apply it? And uh, Fry, Fry or Phrygian scholars, as they are called, uh, often face the problem that uh, the you either apply the system as a whole, and and you're lost in it. Your individuality, your own person, is somehow uh, it 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 
doesn't seem to work. So, so uh, critics uh, who who do not want great systems uh, will easy, will find it easier to follow the deconstructionist mode. Uh, so, so there is a uh, there is a plausibility in this in this uh, in this uh, aspect. On the other hand. Uh, 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 there's a, there is uh, some some interesting personal experience I've had. In uh, I translated Fry in the uh, early 1990s, and then uh, the two big Bible books came out, and uh, uh, I thought uh, Hungarian liter literary scholarship is going to hook on to it, and all the great critics will say, "Ah, we found something that." that we haven't thought of <laughs> and uh, true now we've we've got the we've got the the, the way to go ahead uh, and there was no response you know and i was shocked you know fry is really a great thinker and how come there is no response and i wrote an essay on this and everyone liked the essay and i was very sorrowful and and uh, there was a very bleak view of the whole world they don't understand fry there is no understanding that there is only this solipsism of uh, uh, these french figures uh, and and everything is falling apart and there is no sense in the world and uh, you were you were clearly right, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and the astonishing fact, the astonishing thing was that uh, in 2012 uh, we had the hundredth anniversary uh, of Fry, and we his birth, or uh, yeah, of his birth, of his birth, and uh, we 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 Hungarian Frisians, I think there are four of us. Uh, I mean, those that I know. Um, uh, we set up a conference, an international uh, conference. And the astonishing thing was that some of our best literary critics were there applying what, how they understood Fry in very, very succinct, very well-prepared papers, either religious, non-religious, uh, archetypal or, uh, or structuralist. Amazing. So you know, I can't say I can't say that that uh, uh, Derrida is uh, overruling uh, uh, Fry. I mean, if you if you if you look at uh, Peter David Haas's book on uh, uh, the uh, the uh, uh, poetic patterns in Hungarian literature in the nineteenth century, a big fat seven hundred page book, doing. What Fry did for uh, uh, Anglo-American literature, in a theoretical perspective that is equivalent to Fry, or even perhaps in some cases better or more refined, as at least uh, from a posterior point. You know, I mean, he's he's able to handle those problems Fry got stuck in. So, you know, I mean, I, if I, if I look at that seven hundred page book, I, I don't care about. Uh, what's his name? Derrida. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting to, to talk about him in relation to uh, what came after deconstruction Derrida and so on. Obviously, Derrida is basically a household name, whether people have read him or not. And of course, not many people have read him. I, I imagine no one's understood him. But the but, but what's interesting for me is that uh, in reading about Fry in preparation for this podcast, he, he struck me as a bit like Wittgenstein in philosophy. Because Wittgenstein is widely regarded... Uh, often talked of as the greatest philosopher of the 20th century, yet he has vanishingly little to do with contemporary philosophy, which tends to be quite positivist, um, uh, very technical. And Wittgenstein has almost been passed by by the culture, which is almost operating in a spirit that's counter to everything he stood for. In the same way that Fry seems to be described as the, you know, the, one of the great, if not the great literary scholar of the mid-20th century, similarly has been bypassed by a culture that seems to be running counter to what he believed in. But what's interesting for me, and as much as you said that your book was not well, you know, not widely read or didn't have much impact in the 90s, um, uh, it seems to me that much like I think Wittgenstein in some ways today, that perhaps Fry is very relevant to the problems of today. And this is what I want to ask you now is that the reading about Fry, it seems that he at one point he draws, he says there's a 
um, a false determinism implied in, to quote him, when a scholar with a special interest in, say, geography or economics expressed that interest by the rhetorical device of putting his favorite um, uh, study into a causal relationship with, with whatever interests him less. And his point he was making is that often what you'll see is people looking at a piece of literature, but they'll be judging it not on its own intrinsic merits, but they'll be judging it based on some broader sort of contemporary uh, conceit or moral panic or whatever it may be, some broader norm in the culture. And I see it around us today on any type of art. It could be books, it could be television, it could be film, it could be anything. We're constantly seeing uh, critical work looking at the how it relates to the contextual politics, how the book relates to contextual norms or or, um, uh, or in the contemporary culture, but very little interest in the intrinsic um, aesthetic merit of the piece of work. And I, I think that there is a great gap in the culture right now of actually examining works on their own merit in relation to what they were trying to do. And it seems Fry would be, well, what we're missing is precisely Fry's perspective. Being, and, and so I'm wondering what you think of Fry's application today, or, or are we missing a, a Fryian uh, or indeed a friable uh, perspective <laughs> on today's uh, today's um, art and culture. Uh, I I don't I doubt uh, I, so I'm not sure about whether whether uh, we want uh, something that puts all aright. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, Fry does uh, provide a. a, a, a a full scale, a, a whole, a, a kind of a total vision of, of literature. Uh, uh, so uh, I do believe that that uh, Fry does have uh, uh, things to say in current uh, cultural attitudes as well. Uh, uh, I do very much agree with what you say. Uh, the, I think the the one of the central uh, tenets or principles of Fry is the autonomy of the work of art, that it has to be taken on its own terms. It, it, for, uh, literature or the literary work or the, uh, the work of art has to be explained, has to be understood uh, on its own terms, uh, developing our criticism, our critical tools uh, from the work of art and not uh, bringing in uh, literary history or Hegelian philosophy or uh, whatever else. Uh, this, is, this is, I think, one of the most important aspects of his, of his work. Uh, and his relation to the, to the, to the new criticism is that, uh, is that, uh, that uh, he is capable of, of, uh, of uh, bringing into play uh, those aspects of literature uh, that go beyond the, the mere form, formal aspect. The new critics were excellent at upholding the autonomy of the work of art, but they were the the intellectual, uh, uh, ideological, religious, uh, or uh, the experiential aspect of literature. Uh, they were the, uh, as far as I understand, especially from from uh, the the uh, mirror of of Fry, uh, is that they were unable to do that. But Fry himself uh, was capable of bringing this about. Uh, and I think this is this is uh, 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 of utmost importance uh, for uh, for uh, 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 working with works of art. Uh, uh, but I, but I certainly wouldn't want uh, journalists uh, citing Fry uh, and writing up uh, their, their, their their unthoughtful. <laughs> <laughs> pieces of criticism in you know referring to fry so i mean I'm, i i sort of uh, believe that that the the undercurrent is is more important than the than the the uh, let the let the deconstructionist uh, uh, stay on the top of the waves and uh, phrygians underneath <laughs> so stay tidal you're saying yeah. an associated question i suppose um, would be, what would Fry have made of the contemporary orthodoxy today of saying all art is political? Would he have thought all art is political? Because it seems implied in what I've read of him and, and your, your description that 
that he said there was you, the art could be understood on its own terms, not necessarily in relation to its contextual politics. So, and I keep hearing this phrase, you know, over the years of uh, all art is political. Would he have agreed? Well, he, uh, I mean, he was a uh, he was uh, staunchly against uh, any Marxian uh, attitude to literature. Uh, so he had he had nothing to do with with uh, with uh, uh, literature being uh, part of the ideological superstructure. I mean, is that uh, fair, is uh, it fair to say on that though that that is in a sense that the central characteristic of criticism today is this assumption that all things are political? Because I mean, he he draws this distinction between centripetal and centrifugal criticism, where the former centripetal veers to, inwards towards the aesthetic function of literature. Whereas the latter centrifugal criticism veers towards the social function of literature, the political function, and it seems to be—I mean, as it goes back to my question before—that it does seem to be in the culture today. All we see when people talk about criticism is political criticism. There's almost no commentary, or if it is, it seems as a very superficial commentary about the aesthetic. It's almost as if the aesthetic of an art is seen as a superficial quality. I certainly find if I watch a, if I read a beautiful book or a book or, or see a beautiful. Uh, a TV show that I think is beautifully made, it's not simply pleasing, it's deeply edifying to encounter that aesthetic quality, that sense that, um, you know, the, the Longfellow quote of, uh, you know, in the elder days of art, builders wrought with greatest care every minute and unseen part, for the gods are everywhere. There seem to be few pieces of art today which which are, are made with a real interest in, in in beauty. But when they are, it's dismissed. It's not really taken as an inherent quality is not seen as important as the politics and um so it seems to be that we are missing that sort of fry in perspective but i wonder if you could talk more about well this. well uh, i i am i don't think i'm in a position to 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 judge the the scene uh, there is a lot of that, and and uh, certainly, certainly, one is one is uh, struck dumb, and and uh, one wants to one wants to run away uh, from that kind of world. Uh, that's uh, certainly true, and it's certainly uh, Fry is a place where you 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 can find a, 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 an understanding of of uh, what do the gods have to do. Uh, in the world and in literature, what they have to do in in poetic structures, in rhythm, in metaphor. Uh, so, uh, I mean, certainly, certainly, the, it's another world, and and sort of uh, one feels one feels uh, that uh, that uh, uh, he's no longer interested in in that over politicized uh, jargon. Or jargon. Uh, just one. Before, don't don't forget your your question because this is just a remark. On the other hand, uh, 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 Fry uh, is far from uh, excluding any political uh, uh, understanding or 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 drawing of of political consequences from literature. So he's he he, he he's not there. He's not trying to be in the ivory tower. Uh, no, uh, uh, but certainly, certainly, there is the autonomy of the work of art, which is uh, beyond, above and below, uh, and certainly not identical with any political uh, framing. One of the thoughts I've had in uh, in both listening to Fry recently, there, there's a brilliant series of lectures which you can find online uh, from the University of Toronto, uh, which I've been watching a bit of and, and reading him. But tell me if I'm wrong, uh, Peter, but this relates directly to Callum's question. It seems to me that, um, that Fry argues that all politics, including Marxist politics, to which he, as you said, was a staunch opponent, but just uh, he was a socialist. He was a he was a pinky okay. in politics. Okay, uh, pinko, but, pinko. Not, but, but not a com, not a communist. Not a communist. No, okay. no, he was pinko. Uh, so he, he was His on, politics was pinko. He was a social social democrat. Uh, a social democrat. Uh, democrat in liberal in the American. 
But this is kind of slowly bringing us to the question of the Bible, which um, we're, we're interested in. But my understanding is that he, rather than um, reading sort of uh, religion or art as part of a, an economic superstructure, he would actually argue that politics, including modern politics, including Marxist politics, are acting out certain kind of narrative and even mythic impulses or structures or stories, patterns, of which they are often unaware. And he is trying to, in a sense, clarify, use the, the deepest um, kind of stories of uh, our civilization to clarify politics rather than the other way around. Is this? I, I think that's fair to say. Uh, I, 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 I can buy into that. Uh, uh, there is uh, uh, much in Fry that, that, uh, uh, that, especially in his essays, uh, which are, of course, a secondary aspect of his work, which does that. Uh, but, I mean, his, his most important books, Anatomy, Fearful Symmetry, which is the, 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 the founding stone, the, 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 uh, what establishes the whole structure, the book on Blake, uh, uh, and then the Bible books, uh, and the Shakespearean uh, criticism. I mean, these these uh, only touch on these aspects. For, for, for listeners who might not have heard of Fry, um, which might be most of them, in fact, um, I, I, could I ask for another clarification? My understanding is this very early book on the poetry of William Blake, Fearful Symmetry, his first book, is that is that right? In the 1940s? Yes, late 1940s. Um, which, which really kind of uh, allowed for a, a very new understanding of the whole poetic corpus of William Blake and his kind of vision. So my question is this, um, is it right to say that Fry's reading of the Bible is crucial to his kind of decoding of Blake? Yes. It's, I mean, uh, the source is Blake. The source is Blake, understanding Blake, uh, making sense of him, understanding the system that that Blake created, uh, the system uh, that I, I think uh, I, I can't co quote uh, off the top of my head. Uh, I create systems to break them away afterwards. It's like uh, the Heideggerian idea of uh, uh, climbing up with the ladder and throwing the ladder away. That's right. That's right. So uh, 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 there is this this uh, at attitude that Fry takes up from Blake, uh, and it is uh, Blake's understanding, Blake's poetic use of the Bible, that uh, in fact leads to anatomy of criticism, the theory of modes, the theory of genres. This is the amazing thing that it is. It is from the poetry of Blake, from how Blake understands what poetry does, uh, that we understand how the genres arise. And then later on, uh, in the Bible books, but this already appears in the Anatomy, uh, he relates the European genres to the Bible. So there is a uh, there is a very interesting. Uh, uh, line that that can be, that that uh, uh, leads from Blake to uh, this uh, grand vision of uh, literature and all the genres, and uh, falling back on the Bible. It's, it's worth probably noting for for listeners, though, and I didn't know this until I was reading about Fry the last few days that uh, um, that before uh, Fry's work on William Blake the poet. Uh, Apparently, William Blake was regarded as a, as a delusional eccentric, a bit of a loon, and then his uh, and then he completely rehabilitated his reputation uh, to the extent that you know when I was in high school in Scotland, uh, we were taught the songs of innocence and experience. It's central to the to studying English literature, and it's very interesting to see the effect of a critic well, can have. There is some truth in in that certainly, but uh, but uh, Jerusalem, as far as I know, is. Uh, is is a uh, is the second uh, national anthem of uh, uh, of the, uh, the United Kingdom. I'm not sure since when though. I just uh, well, it was sung. It was sung already. Uh, uh, I know f 
as far as I remember my readings in Fry, uh, uh, in in one of the the uh, work Labour Party wicked victories. Uh, but it's been sung in the in the um, in the uh, 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 BBC uh, festival proms. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's always it's it's, it's been there. But the B- worth noting that BBC and Labour Party both uh, 20th century inventions. So it's, it's interesting that at least in the 19th century you may not have been as uh, well. Uh, it it is it is perhaps uh, true, but this is this is one of the things. So so the 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 anthem, the uh, the Jerusalem song, uh, did uh, acquire wide uh, applause, uh, uh, but also. Uh, 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 at the time of Fry, we already had Foster Damon uh, in the United States, who who was also. A, no, I don't. I don't know this name. Who, Foster Damon. He was. He, he was also a very important critic of 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 Blake, mm-hmm. uh, who 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 was capable of explaining uh, his poetry. And not leaving him to, uh, as a as a as an unfollowable uh, uh, mystic, who could not and, be. And I would just interject. I believe this is word for word. I haven't looked it up, but I mean, Blake famously said something along the lines of, "Everything I know, I have learned from the Old and New Testaments." So this is a key that, in a sense, Blake gives his interpreters um, very well, very clearly. Uh, well, uh, what. Uh, Made Fry study the Bible as the source of literature uh, was Blake's uh, famous uh, etching, Laocon. I don't know how you pronounce that in mm-hmm. English, Laocon, mm-hmm. uh, where it says uh, the Old and New Testaments are the great code of art. Really? Yes, that's what, okay. <laughs> that's where it says. Well, this is the this time. is the this is the picture you have to you have to add to our uh, podcast, uh, the Laocon uh, uh, etching. Duly noted. <laughs> but this is also the time for us to note for our listeners that uh, the first great book that Northrop Fry wrote on the Bible was titled The Great Code. Yes, that's yes? right. That's okay. right. That's what early eighties. When when did this? Uh, uh, I think 82, 81, 82, 82. And is this, you mentioned that you've translated some Fry? Is this... Uh, well, this is one of the books, yes. Okay. This is one of the... Well, I, I, so a true, I a true Hungarian authority on the... Uh, <laughs> on, on the topic. Well, uh, 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 there, are two, there are two books, the, the Great Code and the Words with Power. Hmm. These are the two books on the Bible. The, and uh, you translated both? I, I translated both, yes. Extraordinary. Uh, and uh, th- perhaps there is a, I mean, there is a, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if uh, private intellectual uh, aspects are interesting, but uh, I came, I, I chanced upon this in the 1983 or four, uh, in 1983 or four in, uh, at, at the university where uh, we received uh, the uh, TLS, Times Literary Supplement, and that's where I read a, a review of the book, and I thought this is my book uh, immediately. I, I, of course, I couldn't get it. I, uh, the way I, the way at the time we could get it was my father being a Presbyterian minister or a Reformed minister. He was on a booklet on a on a on a mailing list of the Presbyterian Church of America of for uh, second-hand books, mm. and you could, you know, Request. list li- list uh, ten books from choose ten books from a list, and th- uh, they would come, mm. and that's how I I got Great Cold uh, in 1984 or so, uh, uh, and uh, but there is an there is a there is a very important aspect to this I think that might be might be interesting for our li- our listeners. Uh, I'm a priest kid, uh, uh, with many problems with my church and with with uh, with religion. And there was a, an attitude in me at the time that that really uh, Calvinism and even Christianity has lost its force. It's it's it 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 doesn't carry weight. It uh, 
uh, and th this, uh, I mean, this is the sense of of uh, of uh, deconstruction, really, that that uh, encroaches or 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 or, uh, or uh, grabs uh, one uh, with the feeling that uh, T. S. Eliot uh, talks about this that that uh, it's it's easy to feel the the stench of the of the church, the the church office. Uh, you don't you don't feel this with with Buddhism, and so you you you, you run for Buddhism, and there was this this kind of running away from this stench, and uh, and uh, uh, what I what I acquired in Fry was an understanding that you you can uh, uh, hold on to this tradition, you can uh, uh, bring. Uh, uh, Bring these uh, uh, these uh, old things back into a modern world. Uh, one of his central uh, uh, points from Blake is that that Blake was the uh, Blake was one of the one of the central figures in in uh, the European poetic tradition because he was the one who understood best uh, the change. Uh, in poetic metaphor, uh, until Blake, uh, the the metaphorical system of uh, European literature was built on the chain of being. There is God at the top, uh, and through uh, a clear line, you go down to the to the uh, 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 base uh, uh, elements, atoms, and so on. Uh, and there is a clear line and. Uh, dividing the top, the heavens, uh, from the bottom. And uh, uh, Blake was the one who understood uh, that the, the external, uh, the height, the, the upper world, goes inward. And this is what moder modernity is about. And this is what uh, he develops uh, uh, a, a metaphorical uh, system. So this is this this is what what uh, what really uh, captured my uh, my sensitivity or my my uh, my imagination that here is a thinker who is capable of uh, bringing together the modern experience, the modern internal internals, uh, 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 perhaps psychological understanding, uh, with uh, uh, the traditions. I once uh, I remember reading uh, a quote or a quip rather from Alfred North Whitehead, who said that uh, the European philosophy, the European philosophical tradition, is best understood as a series of footnotes to Plato, and uh, his famous line. I wonder to what extent uh, Fry might see all of Western literature as a series of footnotes to the Bible. But this is what he says. Yeah, I mean, is that is that? Uh, I mean, uh, it's essentially, that's. Uh, well, I mean, he, what he does in the anatomy of criticism and the Bible books is he 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 shows how uh, the European genres, comedy, romance, tragedy, uh, irony, uh, arise from the Bible. So there, it's it's not only that there are certain you know archetypes that run through you know twelve and uh, three and what whatever uh, uh, creation from what uh, from water and so on you know you have you have these uh, uh, very uh, strong images. He goes much further than that. So it's interesting because I I myself was not raised as a Christian and uh, I was reading Tom Holland's book Dominion a couple of years ago. And alongside that, partly from reading the book, but in general, I had begun to realize in recent years that, in a sense, uh, I I don't really have an option. I am Christian in the sense that I think like a Christian, I, I reason like a Christian, I often act like a Christian. Uh, I, I feel bad when I haven't acted like a Christian, which is also very Christian. And the so, but what's interesting is that, you know, it's in the water. It's the, it's the cultural waters we're swimming in, and um, and I do wonder. The question I have in this is that. We see around us a lot of popular movements today. You could look at the climate movement, the social justice movements, other movements, which uh, present themselves or see themselves as quite secular and quite a religious. But they seem to me extremely 
not only Christian in their moral reasoning, but also quite millenarian and Christian in their reasoning, the sense that the world is in sin, we must save it established uh, before the end and judgment day comes and save things, which is, again, a very Christian phenomenon. And I wonder, um, would he, what would he have thought about the dangers of people who, in a sense, act like think, Christians, think like Christians, but do not know that is what they're doing? Does he, would he, what is his attitude towards the consciousness, the awareness we have uh, and this reminds me of, in the context of what I'm saying, there's, we had a speaker here some months ago called uh, Rob Long, I think his name was, and he's a, an American film uh, writer and critic, wrote on the TV show Cheers in the 1980s. Brilliant guy. And he gave a, a talk here in Budapest where he said that, he said, the problem is today, he says, he says if you look at people making TV 30, 40 years ago, or writing anything 30, 40 years ago. These people were steeped in the classics, in the canon. They'd read the Bible, they'd read Milton, they'd read all these things. He says the problem with people making art today is they've not read those sources, they've just watched the, the previous TV shows. And so they don't have this deep sense of the tradition. So in a sense, they may be aping the structures and the forms of a broadly Christian culture without knowing they are. And so my, my point in all this, my question is, is there a, would he have seen a danger in in people being ignorant ignorant of what they know or indeed why they know it? Well, uh, well, uh, certainly, certainly. Uh, I mean, the the, uh, the answer is quite uh, quite obviously yes. Uh, on the other hand, uh, uh, his archetypal uh, view of uh, of uh, uh, cultural phenomena. Uh, in sort of, sort of, uh, uh, made him more tolerant uh, towards these kind of these kinds of uh, of uh, uh, apparitions. Of course, he didn't he didn't uh, have too much time for uh, uh, what I would call subculture. Uh, so, you know. Uh, I mean, the the problem is when you when you look at a television series on Netflix, uh, and you 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 wonder how this relates to Christianity and uh, Christian types, anti types. Uh, you might uh, you might uh, make up some kind of uh, uh, theory, or uh, or or or, or uh, you might have some uh, some interesting idea. But the trouble is it. It doesn't lead to any interesting idea. Uh, what you need to do is is to turn to the classics. I mean, he is a call to read the classics, as of course uh, uh, so many others uh, who face this problem. That that much of uh, what what surrounds us is derivative. Uh, is 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 a secondary uh, understanding of. Uh, I mean, of uh, of uh, what has what has been uh, thought through, what has been created properly and and as to uh, 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 elaborated in, in every respect. Um, but but I but I mean, this is this is a this is a, a, a problem. I think our, our generation had already had to face. At university, so I mean, uh, you know, facing whether you read whether you read the the account or the original, you read the textbook uh, summary, or you go to read read Hegel. You know, I mean, this is this is the, uh, I mean, there are, there aren't enough calls to to tell university students that, hey, read Hegel, and read read Aristotle, and read Pascal. Well, this is the sort of place where we, we issue those reminders. But um, I was listening the other the other day to one of his lectures. It was really extraordinary on the, the book of Ecclesiastes. Mm -hmm. And he made a comment which I found quite striking. He was talking about the, the famous beginning, um, about the fact that there's nothing new under the sun, nihil novum sub sole, and everything, everything that occurs in nature seems to occur in some sort of cycle. And uh, in commenting on this, he, he made a very strong statement, which I think is a sort of footnote to Plato. <laughs> That's neither here nor there. But he, he made a very interesting comment. He said, basically, humans can only know things that happen over and over again. You cannot know something that only happens once. And yet you can only experience something 
that occurs once. So there's a there's a disjunction between knowledge and experience, which I found really mm-hmm. quite profound. I mean, yeah. I, I was mm-hmm. not actually prepared. Very, very Blakeian mm-hmm. in a sense. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, but but um, but I, I'm curious if you could say, in, in light of this sort of comment, I mean, because what it implies, of course, is that those anyone who seeks knowledge must seek knowledge of forms and repetitions and kind of things that which recur and things which have a very very long history. If you want to know, then you have to look back. And so I'm curious if you could say for our listeners a bit about his idea of archetypes. I mean, I I was really struck um, to hear him compare um, certain key occurrences in in the Hebrew Bible. So fall and exodus and promised land, for instance, he compares to uh, in, in the Gospels to incarnation and baptism. So he he argues very convincingly that in the Gospels, what we see is a kind of Re, um, a re-elaboration of the primal dramas which we find in the first pages of the Bible. But I'm, I'm curious if you could just say a bit more on, on what... Well, what... Uh, well the, this is, this is the, uh, the, uh, one of the uh, uh, traditional uh, aspects of, of biblical uh, understanding which uh, Fry uh, recapitulates, uh, reinterprets the, the uh, types and typology types and antitypes, uh, uh, types being uh, the new and antitypes being the former. Uh, so uh, the the he does say uh, along um, the lines of medieval biblical uh, criticism uh, that that uh, whatever is in the Old Testament is, is recreated anew in the in the new. Uh, but he also says that that this. Uh, uh, well, he says many things, but just uh, he says that. Uh, According to his knowledge, this is uh, this uh, typological understanding or or working of the Bible of the Bible is uh, unique to itself. So there is no such parallel in, in the Quran or in the Mahabharata or uh, uh, or wherever. Even though uh, archetypes run through those as well, uh, this. This kind of uh, reworking, re, uh, re uh, 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 using uh, of former uh, uh, images, imagery, uh, is uh, unique to the Bible, and it is there in the Old Testament itself. Uh, so it's not it's not the invention of the New Testament. Uh, which would you would assume it's there uh, uh, in the old as well. I I, I can, can't bring up an example. Perhaps this may this may might leave out. But uh, so the there are examples uh, in the Old Testament itself. Um, uh, is that an answer? Sure, uh, sure, sure. And I, well, I'm also curious. I, I was also really struck by a comment he made. Um, that, of course, we're talking about literature and kind of the history of the word. Um, but at the same time, one of the points he makes is that the Bible is absolutely saturated with images and that to some extent the history of literature is actually, which leads us back to Blake, is actually a question of the recurrence of images. And the word, in some sense, is a vehicle for images as much as the other way yes, around. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm curious if you could elaborate a bit on this. <laughs> Uh, that's a... Which, in a sense, getting back to Callum's question, it would mean that um, we are we are ourselves vehicles of images which we do not understand as fully as as we could, right? I mean, uh, well, I have an associated question. I think that links quite closely to what you're asking, which is, um, to what extent would he argue that the 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 aesthetic of the Bible, indeed, the forms found in the Bible account for its cultural success as opposed to the doctrines per se but more the actual aesthetic of that is there something uniquely or perhaps not unique but what but overwhelmingly compelling rather because you could look at the history of christianity and say it's spread by the sword often there's one interpretation and and that would be the sort of political that would be that would be the uh um the sort of uh, deconstructionist view it's a it's, it's it's you know uh 
it was power that power and knowledge and the power drove it but i wonder to what extent there is um lasting there was something deep in the aesthetic and the forms within it which not only account for the bible's lasting and success but the flourishing of the civilization wrought in its image Certainly, certainly, uh, Fry wouldn't buy into any kind of uh, uh, the sword of power uh, uh, spreading the Bible. He wouldn't. He wouldn't buy into that. Though he wouldn't deny that. Uh, in certain instances, it, it did happen. He does talk about the voluntarism uh, that there is in Christianity. Voluntarism being the, the idea that you have to spread the word, and uh, uh, at certain instances, uh, you might want to bash uh, your uh, subjects into this kind of uh, issue. I mean, there are numerous examples uh, of this uh, in the Bible. Uh, but uh, uh, I think. I, I do not know whether whether how far uh, Fry or I don't remember how far uh, Fry relates uh, the beauty of the Bible uh, to its success, but he certainly uh, does uh, relate uh, the the problem of typology. That is, that there are certain instances that repeat themselves, and they become uh, a, a kind of uh, uh, recognitional scheme that goes through the text of the Bible and then goes into the culture. And this uh, re-recognition uh, it certainly is constitutive of uh, what one senses uh, as beauty. Uh, uh, the uh, uh, clearly, clearly, one of one of, I mean, one of his most inter interesting uh, uh, flights of thought relates to uh, uh, Aristotle's anagnorisis mm. uh, and uh, how how this kind of vision, which recognition is the uh, translation, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, the 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 sense of beauty is is the uh, is re directly related to the uh, the idea that you recognize uh, something that is inherent in your existence uh, and that relates you to uh, higher, lower, deeper, uh, but certainly not not. Uh, the fluttering qualities of uh, uh, daily life. One of the things uh, that that he argues, he seems to argue, which I found very interesting, is that um, the the structure of archetypes, the kind of narrative structure in the Bible, is one that is constantly not only moving forward but constantly forcing its readers forward. So there's a sense of restlessness and movement in in the narrative. And I'm curious, I, I suppose it's, it's a bit pat, but I'm curious whether there's a sense in which um, in, a, in a, a strange and estranging world, whether Fry sees the great code, the Bible, as a kind of place in which we can orient ourselves and find a sense of home. And yet at the same time, it's a story which forces us to constantly move forward and work upon ourselves and um, w whether this resonates at all with your own reading of him uh, I, I certainly think so uh, there is uh, this is tr truthful uh, there is one one uh, aspect that that uh, fry uh, uh, constantly stresses in this this forward moving narrative that 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 is present that the the concept of time the the the, uh, the uh, linear concept of time that Eliade brings up and criticizes much in, in Christianity uh, which I don't think he really understands uh, uh, Fry is the one who 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 talks about the fullness of time so uh, so this forward pushing narrative uh, leads to a, 
again, we turn back to recognition, to, uh, to, to the idea of Paul's uh, time where, where, where the, the eternal time or, the, or an elongated time becomes uh, a time that encapsulates all at once. Yeah, yeah, this is, relates to the to the concept that which is uh, fulfilled. Time, uh, yes, is fulfilled. Right? Yeah. So th- this is this is mo- most important for for Fry. Uh, so uh, he does recognize, uh, does uh, analyze, and and repeatedly goes along the, the problem of uh, linear uh, uh, development, but. There is a final uh, uh, fullness uh, that you reach, and that includes past, present, and future. So, Peter, I mean, I want to give you the last word here. And so, um, for listeners, and indeed for both of us as well, what would you like to say about why we should um, turn to Fry today? What do you think we could gain from reading Fry 2022, the culture we're living in? this is a man who obviously had a huge impact in the mid-20th century, forgotten for a while. Why should he be uh, remembered? Why should he be indeed brought back in? Much as he brought back in Blake, you know, why should we rehabilitate, not rehabilitate, but why should we uh, bring Fry back to the fore now, or should we? Well, uh, fundamentally, fundamentally, I think uh, that uh, he is capable of uh, bringing up ancient literature, past literature, whether the ancients, uh, uh, biblical literature, to uh, be present. He, he is capable of doing this and without, we, uh, without being uh, uh, conservative in the sense that, that, uh, that you don't uh, consider uh, what has taken place in uh, European thought in the past centuries. So he's capable of accounting for uh, what happened uh, since the Enlightenment, since uh, Freud, since uh, uh, Jung, since uh, uh, atomic uh, understanding. So he's capable of, of reflecting and bringing this into play uh, for reading uh, uh, Shakespearean sonnets, Dante, uh, or or uh, the classics. I think this is this is the most important aspect that he's capable of of uh, of uh, presenting the actuality, the presence, the 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 uh, the the, the uh, validity, the the now. Uh, uh, the modern validity of uh, whatever happened in literature uh, centuries ago. So this fullness of time, this fullness of literature is what he is capable of presenting. Pastor Peter, thank you very much. Thank you very much too.